you could open your Bibles or your bulletin, we're going to read Isaiah uh, chapter 40, and we'll start at verse 1, we'll go to verse 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim, pro proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the, war, for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are, are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the, for, see the sovereign Lord comes from with power, uh, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Well, great, great singing today. The book of Isaiah we have been looking at this summer. It's one of those spectacular books in the Bible, and it is a real fighting ground between uh, conservative Christians and those who are uh, liberal-leaning and uh, scholars of the Bible who don't believe in God, because Isaiah spans uh, 740 B.C. to the time around 500 and how does that happen? Well, because he prophesies. And uh, he lives during the time of the Assyrian Empire. And uh, he uh, prophesies to Israel, tells the northern kingdom that they're going to be exiled because of their disobedience to God. And they go in exile to the Assyrians. And then he says to the southern kingdom, Judah, he says, you in turn will be exiled to Babylon if you don't follow God. And then that happens after Isaiah's dead. And uh, after that, he prophesies that another empire will rise, the Persians. And he even mentions the Persian king by name, Cyrus, 200 years before he's alive. And so spectacular prophecies. And so people come to the book of Isaiah and they go, well, prophecy's not possible. The supernatural's not possible. So therefore, Isaiah can't all be written by one person. So they would say Isaiah's written by at least three different people. Okay, that's what they would say. I, I think it's written by one person. And it's spectacular. And it's supernatural. And uh, it's that way because we've got a God who can do amazing things. He can tell the future and, of course, that is part of the prophecy of Isaiah. He says, who is, who is like me? 
Who can tell you what's going to happen? And who can tell you the things to come other than me? And of course, no one else can do that. But Isaiah does not just prophesy about those times. He also prophesies about the time of Jesus Christ. And it comes true in the life of Jesus. And you go, how can that happen? What do the critics do with that? You want to know what the critics do with it? What they do is they say everything that you know about Jesus that's prophesied by Isaiah is made up by the church so that it coincides with the writing of Isaiah. Well, not only does Isaiah prophesy the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, he also prophesies a new heaven and a new earth yet to come. Spectacular prophecies in this one book. We're looking today at Isaiah chapter 40. And in Isaiah chapter 40, there is kind of a switch, a shift in the book. Chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah has been prophesying, you're in trouble if you don't change your ways and you don't get right with God. And starting in chapter 40, he starts to say, listen, there's salvation for you. There's tremendous hope. God's got a lot of goodness for you. And he wants to help his people. And starting in 40 through the rest of the book, 66, we have these wonderful passages. And uh, many of these are in Handel's Messiah. Uh, a lot of it comes from the book of Isaiah. Just beautiful words of God. Um, so, that's the introduction. Got four points for you today. Uh, in your text, you have little paragraph divisions, verse, verses 1 and 2. That's the comfort of God. 1 and 2 is the comfort of God. Verses 3 through 5, next little paragraph, the coming of God. The coming of God. Verses 6 through 8, the next little paragraph, the certainty of God's word. And finally, the last paragraph, 9 through 11, the compassion of God. The compassion of God. Four seats. Notice verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. Remember Hebrew poetry. This is poetry. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to get. It's hard to fathom what's going on. So the second line usually repeats the first line, but says it a little differently. So they're rhyming ideas. They're not rhyming sounds. So when he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, he's going to say that a little differently. So he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That's the comfort. Okay, see how he says it a little differently? Speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. Here's what I want you to see in this first part. First of all, this is a message from God. Message from God. So, God's telling the prophet, here's what you say, bring comfort to my people. Message from God, says your God. It goes throughout the rest of the passage. Verse 5, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Verse 6, cry out. Verse 8, the word of our Lord stands forever. So this is a message from God. Number two, it's a message to be spoken to others. Notice it's a command, comfort. It's your job to bring comfort to my people. I think he's telling that to Isaiah. Get out there, help my people, comfort my people. He says comfort, comfort, because he really says this is important. Now, by the way, I think he's also speaking to us. When we see a command, comfort, comfort, he's also telling you this is your job. As a child of God, as someone who speaks for God, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bring comfort to God's people. So there's hope, encouragement, strength, love to be found in the words of God for his people. And he repeats it for emphasis. And this message of comfort comes after hundreds of years of difficulty and destruction and exile. And now he's saying, tell my people, I just want them to have comfort, to have strength, and to have hope. A little while ago, my parents' uh, dog died. My mom had a little lap dog. It was her constant companion. And at night, she would stay up late. My dad goes to bed at 10 o'clock every night. My mom goes to bed at 12 or 1 or 2. And uh, the dog stays up and watches TV with her. So when she has her popcorn, the dog would have popcorn too. And then then the dog died. And uh, sad. Uh, We kind of found it funny because people sent flowers to them. Nice flower arrangements. One of the ones that sent the flower arrangements was the vet. (laughs) And they got cards. And uh, people were just trying to say, you know something, we know it's kind of sad, even when you lose a pet. And we're thinking about you, and we want to bring you some comfort. And, uh, of course, that's what God's people should be doing. When we see somebody who's sad and mourning and had a difficult time, we should be the first ones to come around and say, listen, just want to be there for you. Anything you need us to do, we'll do it. We're thinking about you. Uh, We appreciate, Joanne and I appreciate the last uh, few weeks, the cards and the sympathies that you have given to us very kind Um, notice that God says comfort comfort my people he takes his relationship with people so seriously he says these are my people comfort my people speak tender words to them and he says speak tenderly to Jerusalem literally means to speak to the heart or to speak on the heart. Say things to their heart that soothes them. Boaz talks this way to Ruth, who he marries. Speaks to her heart. Notice where the comfort comes from, especially. Verse 2. Her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. 
she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Why is there such comfort? Sins are paid for. You're right with God. There are no worries anymore. Your relationship with God is restored, and it's one of peace. And as Christians, that is our message especially. You have comfort with God because you're right with God, and your sins have been paid for because Jesus Christ paid for them. That's all done with. like the passage in Romans, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Or Romans 8.1, the opposite side. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The one verse, we're justified, we have peace with God. And then the negative side, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take comfort. Your sins are paid for. Secondly, notice the coming of God. Verse 3. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become a plain, the rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Another way to say that, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Got to get ready for God. Prepare the way for him. It's funny, why does he say in the wilderness? By the way, this is fulfilled in John the Baptist. He says that's him, a voice calling in the wilderness to prepare a way for the Lord. And he's out in the wilderness. But this is poetry. So what is the wilderness? The wilderness is the need of your life. The need that human beings have. The emptiness that is there. And it's the wilderness and and this desert that we need to prepare so that God can come. Prepare the way for the Lord. The hardest place to live is the desert. The need is the greatest for help, and the thirst is the greatest. A couple of weeks, well, not a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, I was watching one of those World War II shows, and it was showing the battle for one of the Aleutian Islands in the Pacific. And the island was Attu Island. Never heard of it. And it showed the island way out in the Pacific, and I thought, uh, I, w- I don't think I'd mind living there. And then I thought, wait just a second. This is off the coast of Alaska. In the middle of nowhere. It's a large, it's it's kind of a large island. Nobody lives there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a desert. And they fought a battle there. (laughs) But the need would be tremendous. You would have nothing. You could get nothing from the land. Well, that's what it's like in the wilderness. And that's our heart. The the need is tremendous. We can't meet it in in and of ourselves. So you have to prepare the way for God. 
He, of course, is the answer. And God is coming. So prepare the way. Prepare the way for God. How do you prepare it? He tells you in verse 4. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become a plain, the rugged place is a plain. How do you prepare for the coming of God? All of those things that would impede his way, you get rid of it. When uh, the Super Bowl was in Detroit, they fixed the highway between the airport and Detroit. Remember that? So that everybody flying into the airport would think Detroit's a wonderful place. <laughs> Everything's fixed up along the highway. <laughs> and then they let it fall apart afterwards. They wanted to prepare the road because they thought, man, people are going to be coming by the scores. Well, you, you knock down the mountains and you raise up the valleys so that the way is smooth and the way is easy. And he's talking, of course, about sin in our lives. Now we're breaking down the poetry. For God to come, you've got to deal with sin in your life. And so when John the Baptist is in the wilderness, what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. And how do you get ready for it? You deal with sin in your life. Now you're ready for God to come. And of course he's saying repent, uh, and for the kingdom of God is at hand, and then there comes Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, after sin has been dealt with, Verse 4, the highway is made. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. In Isaiah's day, that happened when they returned to the land, began to rebuild the temple. Wondrous and glorious. It happened again in Jesus' day. People got ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. They followed John and they were baptized and then there was Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord revealed. Uh, there is an ultimate fulfillment, and it's the second coming of Jesus. Number three, the certainty of God's word. Verse six, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? So here's what he's crying out. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, when I translated verse 6, where it says all people are like grass, uh, in my Hebrew text, is that it doesn't say all people are like grass. It says all people are grass. And uh, sometimes the modern translations help you out, lets you know it's a, uh, it's a figure of speech. All people are grass. Uh, we haven't had rain for, what, a week? And the grass is starting to look brown. If you don't, if you don't water your flowers in this kind of heat, what happens to them? Pretty, pretty sad. I remember watching Dennis the Menace movie when I was when I was younger with my kids. 
and Mr. Wilson lived next door to Dennis the Menace. Everybody know who Dennis the Menace is? Okay. Even, even older people than I am know who Dennis the Menace is. Mr. Wilson next door was growing a flower. And the flower only bloomed for like a few minutes every few years. And he was growing that flower and he was taking care of the flower. He invited people over to see the flower because it was going to bloom and they were ready to watch this incredible thing. And then Dennis did something stupid. And everybody turned around and looked at Dennis. The flower bloomed. <laughs> and then when they turned back, the flower had closed back up. And Mr. Wilson had missed his flower that he had called the Horticultural Society over to see. Uh, flowers are flimsy and fail. And uh, I know you've been given cut flowers and uh, you try to keep them alive. <laughs> and you tr put them in water and you cut the bottoms and whatever trick you might have to keep them alive, but eventually they don't make it. And humanity is just like the flower and the grass. It's feeble and it's frail and it doesn't last. And notice especially what he says in verse 6. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The faithfulness of human beings is like the flowers. Can't count on them. You can't count on them. I think his message to his people is you need to count on me and stop counting on all the people around you. Stop counting on them to be faithful and constant. They won't be. They won't last. And they're not dependable. But what's dependable? The word of God. Grass withers, flowers fall. Talking about people, right? People wither and people will fall. God's word will stand forever. That's why 2,700 years after Isaiah writes this, it's all, I always find it spectacular. Something from 2,750 years ago, we're reading it today and it's still speaking today because it's the word of God. Point number four, the compassion of God. Verse nine, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid, see to the towns of Judah. Notice he's got, instead of having two things that rhyme, he's got three things that rhyme. So he's building up to something. So instead of just having two phrases, now he's got three phrases kind of say the same thing. And what are they saying? Here's your God. Remember that old Johnny Carson show that my parents always used to watch at 11 o'clock? And it started with, here's Johnny. <laughs> and then the show starts. That's kind of what he's saying. Here's your God. That's what we're going to shout out. Here's your God. Here he is. He's coming. He's here. 
That's good, that's good tidings. That's good news. Shout it out. Don't be afraid. Verse 10, the sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He comes with all capability, but he comes with tenderness. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, He gently leads those that have young. My mom lost her dog. And my sister thought it's a good idea to buy her a new one. She did. And so they have a cute little puppy that they're training. And we saw the puppy, what, a week ago. And my mom picks the puppy up and she holds it close to her chest. And the puppy's getting used to it just loves that little animal. That's the picture of our God who picks up the little lamb and gathers it and puts it right close to his chest because he loves it. And especially those that have young, the mothers that have young children, he gently leads those that have young. God loves them. A number of years ago, we used to live right down the street from the church here, like five houses down. And one day our children were out playing a couple of doors down from our house. And uh, my son Peter went out from behind a truck. And when he went out from behind a truck, a lady driving hit him. And uh, he was uh, knocked over and his head hit the curb and he cut his mouth wide open. There was blood coming out everywhere. And um, somebody, ran, somebody ran to get me and said, Come, Peter's been hit by a car. So we ran down the street. And I always remember this scene. The woman that had hit my son was holding him in her arms. And he was just kind of moaning there. And I said, I'll take him. And I held him in my arms. And you just want to love him. And you're just thinking, man, I wish this was me that was hurt instead of him. I want to help him. I want to take care of him. Took him to the, took him to the hospital. And uh, fortunately, it was just uh, things in the face that had been, uh, had been hit. And uh, the uh, plastic surgeon came and he uh, felt his uh, orbital bones and none of them had been cracked. The dental surgeon came and he looked at his mouth and he fixed some things up. Uh, and uh, we're just so thankful that Peter was okay. But that's our God. And he looks at us and he comes and when we're hurting, he picks us up and he holds us and he pulls us close. And he loves us. And that's our God. Comfort, comfort my people. Beautiful message. Thank you, Lord.